Well, my goodness, what a lot of hot stuff going on there in Parliament. I tell you, the whole of Cape Town may be drizzling a little bit, but things have been very, very hot. Well, welcome to a rather abbreviated version of the Enviro Show tonight. I am Nancy Richards. Thanks very much to the team there at Parliament. And I'm here together with Rob Parkin and Kim Winter. And what we're going to chat about, uh, guess what? We're going to chat about exactly what's uh, at the top of everybody's minds right now, and that is the State of the Nation address, all that went with it and uh, all that it contained. Going to be chatting to founder of the Global Carbon Exchange, Kevin James, who actually has been very busy, not only listening into the sonar, but he's also been listening in on the mining in Darba. So we'll get his feedback on both of those events happening right here in Cape Town. After that, we're going to be chatting a little bit to Mandela Nkomo, who's operations director and a farmer training expert. We'll be talking about some free farmers workshops that are coming up this uh, coming week. And after that, uh, definitely cooling things down ever so slightly, we're going to be talking about lettuces in our forage feature. So, Sue, stay with us for all of that. It is The Enviro Show. The Enviro Show with Nancy Richards. Enviro Show coming to you from Cape Town, which has uh, been the site of a great deal of action, notably, as you would have heard, the State of the Nation address this evening. And before that, the extraordinarily well-attended mining in Darba, well, at both of them, in, in one or other sense, has been Kevin James. He's the founder of the Global Carbon Exchange, and we have him on the line to give us some feedback in environmental terms. Hi, Kevin. Yes, hi, Nancy. Well, How nice. Yes, yeah, very good. Nice to talk to you once again. We always seem to sort of catch up with you around about this time. Well, my goodness me, what a lot of drama that almost upstaged the uh, the content of that. Let, let's start with the State of the Nation address, um, leaving aside perhaps the dramatic disruptions as they were, because those are going to be greatly uh, discussed and they don't necessarily impact on us environmentally speaking. Your take on what the president did actually say environmentally, because he did give it quite a lot of airspace, didn't he? He did, he did. And, um, you know, it's difficult to ignore the theatrics, uh, Nancy. You know, it's almost like that is the major problem in this country right now is, you know, and we talk about sustainability, we're talking about water cannons, we're talking about blocking cellular phone signals, we're talking about really an assault on our democracy, uh, which uh, we require in order for this country to be successful and sustainable. So let's we forget that economic sustainability and political sustainability is another pillar of this whole matter. But but, um, you know, going into the, the content of what the president said, um, you know, sometimes I wonder how much time he's had to read these speeches before he goes uh, into the whole thing. And, and to be dead frank with you, uh, some of the rhetoric that came out of these speeches, you know, I sometimes wonder really the, the, the actual authenticity of it all. So let's just talk about the stuff that really uh, we are concerned about, you know, mm. the, the, the environmental stuff. So obviously he, he spent quite a bit of time talking about the energy crisis and uh, said that it's inconvenient for everybody. Uh, I'm not sure that any of our government ministers have even experienced load shedding, let alone had to lose productivity and be inconvenienced by it. But for the main, he did acknowledge that. And uh, he spoke about government planning to bail out ESCOM basically 23 billion rand mm-hmm. in the next fiscal year. I mean, that's really, you know, that's the solution that they've come up with. They've spoken about increasing capacity in the short and the medium term and the long term. And, uh, you know, they, they, they're talking about 
about procuring gas and, uh, and, and, and yes, they spoke about hydro, which is obviously a very clean, uh, renewable energy. They spoke about REAP and the successes there. They did, you know, but I mean, we know too much, uh, Nancy. We know that it's or too little too late. You know, maintenance should have been happening over the last decade. We know that it hasn't. We know that they now don't have funds to do it. They don't have funds to keep the diesel peaking plants or the gas turbine plants going. Um, so, so there's some, there's a serious shambles and I think it was downplayed by the president. I don't, I, I, I believe they, they, they're struggling to keep it all together right now. I think, um, you know, like I said, I think in the last time you, you invited me as a guest, I, I was pretty gloomy about the load shedding situation. I don't see it going away. I think it's going to become part of our vocabulary and unfortunately part of our daily lives and it has. We had a reprieve over the holidays because obviously uh, demand was down. But, uh, and then he spoke about his, uh, the Royal Inga Hydro, you know, go up north in the DRC, which is a massive opportunity. And to be dead frank, instead of the nuclear, we should be getting behind uh, that hydro scheme, to be dead frank with you. It's uh, probably similar, you know, probably even cheaper. The Royal Inga will be the biggest hydroelectric scheme in the world by far and uh, wouldn't require us to go the route of nuclear, which will only really be a reality by 2030 and maybe longer, considering the way we've seen the, 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 the new generation build a Madupi Kusili and Coal 3, which doesn't look like finishing any time soon. So um, the energy side, the same old, same old. They're going to try and reduce uh, energy in the short term. He spoke about people using gas for heating and for cooking and, and all kinds of stuff. To me, it sounded like a whole lot of blah, blah, to be dead frank with you, because I don't see this really, um, you know, I, I, the, the only thing that's really going to save us in the short term is handing over to independent power producers, even coal-fired coal, coal power as well as renewable energy. So the energy yeah. thing is well-versed. In terms of land, I mean, you know, really, we're talking about agriculture, and he's going to put in a million hectares to be brought into production in the next three years. You know, this is all words that have come out. None of the promises that have been made or the targets that have been set have been achieved. They're obviously speaking about land claims again, and this is probably the biggest threat uh, to food security because uh, will the land be productive? And we all know what's happened up north in other African countries, and I just really, really hope that we do not mirror the experiences up there where basically uh, ba the baskets of Africa have become the basket cases of Africa. So uh, hopefully, um, you know, something will come out of that. Um, in terms of uh, economic growth, yes, the numbers are down. He blames it on the world economic uh, crisis, uh, yet we see uh, our... Uh, our brothers and sisters in Africa and up north, they're actually experiencing 5, 6, 7% uh, annual GDP increases, by, but we've just been downgraded to 1.4% this year. So I don't think the, the blaming of the whole world economic crisis is something that we should be comparing ourselves to right now. Uh, he spoke about water. Seven billion rands are lost on an annual basis. They're going to send uh, plumbers out to go and fix all the faulty taps. You know, really, Nancy, I don't want to dwell too much on this. I'd rather speak about the mining in yeah. Java. You yeah. know, I think the first part of it is a serious serious blip on the radar. I think we've got serious issues with our democracy. I think President Zuma has now become very, very unpopular in so many circles, and he's really trying, struggling to keep it, the democracy together. And that is the concern, is how strong is our democracy? Will it be able to withstand the unpopularity of this man? 
Well, well, you're putting your cards on the table there, Kevin, but I, you know, one definitely got the sense that there was more than a, just a, a bit of spin. I mean, he had promised prior to, uh, prior to actually giving the speech that there was going to be good news. And, you know, the, the good news was spun, but at the expense possibly of the reality of the situation. Um, you know, touched on, as you say, the whole sort of package of alternative energy sources, not least the fact that there are uh, five countries who came to present on nuclear, you know, talked about shale gas in our own Karoo region. Lots and lots of issues that, you know, sounded good on the face of it. But as you say, we know too much. Things have gone too far. Just lastly, though, on the Sonar speech, he did mention something about growing the ocean economy. Mm. What, what did that say to you? Well, to be dead frank, to me, that's uh, really in line with uh, oil and gas exploration that's happening in the ocean. It's got nothing to do with uh, ocean ecology and uh, maintaining sustainable fish supplies. Uh, they're selling out every square inch of our ocean if it's not to, uh, to, to for big fishing quotas to uh, well-connected people. It's really oil and gas exploration to oil and gas companies. Every square inch of our oceans are being explored right now and it has serious detrimental uh, issues uh, or, or consequences to our ocean ecology. So so the whole ocean uh, economy discussion is a bit of a double-edged sword. Yes, there is money to be extracted, but also the, you know, the word extracted could be replaced by exploited as well, and we need to be really concerned about that. Yeah, one doesn't want to be only negative, but it, it does seem almost as if one could go through point by point and say what was said and then look at the reality of the situation. You know, definitely more than just a little bit of a spin there. But as you say, quite rightly, Kevin, let's leave that to one side because also happening here in Cape Town has been the mining in Darbo, which I think has been huge. There was also the alternative mining in Darbo that I think took place this afternoon. Were you there? Give us your thoughts. Okay, so I actually was at the main event this entire week. Uh, it was the first time I've been there, and uh, it was quite insightful, I have to say. Um, you know, firstly, it's, uh, it's very well attended by um, delegates from all over the world, local, international mining companies, service providers, consultants. Um, very good speakers. I mean, Tony Blair delivered a keynote, um, you know, and the takeout of his speech was really that uh, the critical success factor to doing uh, mining business in Africa is uh, to identify uh, good government governance and leadership. Well, uh, there's a challenge in itself in Africa, you know. And I, what I saw really, and I don't want to be too negative about this either, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the mining companies are, are starting to do more and more. They're trying to at least uh, acknowledge and identify and uh, consult, engage with communities and employees and, and, and trying to get those, and labor and trying to get those relationships right. However, you know, the, 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 the elephant in the room is really uh, political will. You know, the, you know, whether it's local politics that came out today with a uh, mention from a gentleman from the Benchmarks Foundation, which is really an activist group, uh, speaking about, you know, just chiefs in uh, communities who are, you know, wanting to take bribes so that they allow a social license to operate in their areas, right up to where we're talking at a national government level where, you know, honestly, the... the, the um, the, the rules could be set by governments. And it's happened all over Africa. We've seen in Nigeria, for example, oil and gas has been um, drilled out of there for the last 50, 60, for decades, many, many decades. They have been flaring methane gas there since they started. You know, as a uh, sustainable development criteria for doing business in Nigeria, you should have to, Shell and these companies should have to co-generate methane gas into electricity. If they had done that, they would have addressed 
um, energy uh, poverty and supplied energy to the whole of West Africa for the last couple of decades. You know, so it is up to governments to set the rules, not only what they personally can get out of stuff, but really for the benefit of their citizens. So I, I, I saw some interesting stuff here, Nancy. I mm. saw that, um, yes, the, 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 the message from commodity traders who were talking was that the commodity prices are at all-time low. That's going to continue for at least another two years. Now, what that does to the whole uh, sector is really that it pushes down margins. So the, these companies are now putting a moratorium on spending on things that they believe not core to their business. Unfortunately, environment and, 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 and social sustainability and communities are externalities. Yes, well, they have to I be really... addressed and they can yes. put the company out of pressure, but drilling as much or uh, out of the ground, being as productive as possible and pushing down overhead is really the key, key, uh, the fundamental driver right now, yeah, which is I... a worry because who's going to be the net losers of, of, of this low commodity price? So well, that yes. was quite interesting. The <clears> other that's interesting really what, if thing, I can and what happened last year as well, at the, yeah, I remember I looked at my um, talk that I did last year on, on, on Radio 2000, another station, and, and I spoke then of this massive missed opportunity that is the BEE charter, the mining charter, saying that 26% of all mining companies have to be owned by uh, BEE individuals or consortiums. And I said at the time that this would be a significant opportunity in bridging the gap between uh, workers, communities, and mine owners, because if we could take that 26% and put it in the hands of communities, of um, of uh, um, the employees and of real entrepreneurs who are actually, um, you know, impacted by the local uh, operations, then we would see a, a real huge shift in, 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 in thinking. Unfortunately, though, the trend has been that 26% has generally been taken up by rich very well-connected black businessman and hasn't really been able to be a broad-based approach, which it was meant to be. You know, one of the things, Kevin, just to sort of interrupt you there, one of the things about the mining industry that we hear a lot about governance and, you know, the keynote speakers, and it's very much on a sort of governmental level. So one does wonder to what extent the mining industry is taking environmental issues seriously. There was a glimmer of hope we heard about the alternative mining in Darbo. You know, was that sort of taken seriously were, were people really represented and, and is the mining industry sort of really focusing on that well i think that you know the fact that there was a separate event down the road in woodstock uh, where faith-based organizations ngos labor um, community organizations were represented uh, the fact that they have to have their own event and are not really included in the main event is a problem in itself. Yes, yeah. it could be a little, you know, there needs to be the proper forums. But, you know, what came out is that the you know, communities actually see the mining sector as bad. You know, they don't see individual companies. They see miners and they see they're going to be exploited. They're going to see that their minerals are going to get sucked out of the ground and the value is going to be exported to other countries and local people will be left uh, scratching their heads thinking what's actually happened. Yeah, no, no, not really better off. So, so you know, when it comes to... Um, these communities, they need to be more engaged, and it's not happening. You know, we're not seeing that engagement. And, uh, yes, a lot of companies are talking about it, and they're starting to put in place stakeholder engagement programs that, you know, engage with a, a broader set of stakeholders. But for the most part, yes, the social stuff is being taken care of, um, and then starting to, with the bigger companies, they're starting to take note of it. The small companies, what they call the junior miners, that's where the problem lies, because these are the guys that have got the concessions, the 
commodity prices have dri- driven down the margins and they don't have any money to spend on uh, the social and the environmental side. And unfortunately, I see it all the time. The environmental side is where we've got a problem. And in the State of the Nation address tonight, President Zuma spoke about EIAs being made easier for the mining mm. and water sectors. I don't think that's a good thing. Absolutely not. Environmental impact assessments. Um, it's an international issue, though. Obviously, it's an international mining in Darba, but it seems to be, it's not just here in South Africa where it seems that money is more important than the environment. In any of the big keynote speeches, did, was the issue of environment brought up at all? You know, um, I listened to Dembisa Moya, uh, Dr. Dembisa Moya. Dembisa Moya, she's a, a world-renowned economist. She was speaking. She spoke really well. I really, I, she was a takeout uh, presentation that I, you know, that I enjoyed. Um, she spoke about, uh, you know, the importance of it. But she spoke about that we are going into a real um, extended period of economic downturn as well. And unfortunately, you know, the problem with this is that, like I said before, it is very, very difficult when you see the kind, you know, it was all about the money. That's what I saw at the main event. It was all about margins. It was all about shareholder returns and protecting shareholder returns. With the reduced margin, with the reduced commodity price, it becomes very, very difficult to authentically you know, provide uh, environmental sustainable transformation, and that is what's required. They, you know, the, the problem with mines and when it comes to the environment is that generally the, the, um, what has happened in the past is that they plan for the mines, they put in the infrastructure. Yes, they will engage with the communities to try and get their buy. And if the community doesn't want it to happen, and this is really what came out of John Cappell, who said today from the Benchmarks Foundation, you know, in that talk, in the panel discussion, someone stood up and asked and said, you know, but what happens if the community doesn't want the mine there? You know, it's always about, well, how can we convince them to have the mine? And it's at all costs that we have to convince them because we've got the rights and it has to happen. But what happens if the community doesn't give social license to operate? You know, one of the paradoxes of mines is that the community might not want them, but the mines themselves are huge employers. I mean, the job creation, big time. And one of the, just going back to the Sonar speech, one of the things that uh, President opened with was how many jobs there are um, you know, coming forward in, in sort of environmental areas. And I suppose we do have to look at putting people to work. You know, I'm, I'm not sure how many people are actually employed in the mines here in South Africa, but it's a large number. So there's a bit of a paradox, isn't there? Do you see, as somebody who works in the sort of in the green arena, that we can match mining with other jobs in other areas, environmentally speaking? Yeah. You know, I've said it before, and, and, and this is one of the models, you know, we, I, I was at the Indaba because we're incre- doing increasingly more work with the mining sector, you know, but absolute transformative work. You know, there are um, companies that are committing to long-term strategies, 2030 strategies. Exaro is one of those companies who wants to do the mine of the future. They want to understand their envisaged future in 2030. How do they do things in a more responsible way that puts back more than they take out of society and the environment? And, you know, for that, we've got a a process that right in the beginning of a greenfields mining project, you plan the whole entire life cycle of the plan from of, the, of, of that mine from the from right through the productive life and beyond the productive life to life to uh, rehabilitation, uh, closure and, and rehabilitation. And you can do amazing things. You know, our, our whole thing is is if you really embrace 
um, 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 authentic transformation. You know, you have to look at mining and agriculture together, in my opinion. When a mine starts, they have to start at the same track in parallel with an agro-processing and agriculture strategy. So what that happens is that the communities can actually grow biomass that can produce energy above the ground for the mines, so that the mine can actually, it's an economic thing as well, so they have local production of biomass for energy. And at the same time, intercrop with um, with, uh, with 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 uh, food crops to uh, address food security, yeah, yeah. and then at the end of the um, the productive life of the mine, you've got a situation where you've got a uh, community that can actually sustain itself from an energy perspective and from a food perspective, and they've been empowered, and they aren't just set, uh, left sitting there unemployed with no hope and no uh, and, and completely destitute. So they, you know they, the people that the things have got to be done completely differently. We have to take a look at this entire life cycle as a systems approach, not just a linear approach where they have a mine, they mine it, they take all the value out and they leave the communities in a, in a, in a worse position than yeah, they were before. It's, it's and that's what we're seeing. And that's the communities are, they, they, uh, they see it for what it is and they, and, and, and they are not wanting to give license to operate because they know they're going to become another statistic. It, it definitely is about mind shifting as well as mind shifting. But I like what you say about mining and agriculture need to sort of run parallel, which is a perfect point to which to leave it, Kevin, because in a minute we're going to be talking to Mandla Nkomo, who's going to be talking about uh, free work shops for farmers which couldn't be more appropriate kevin thank you very much thanks for um staying alert and awake right throughout the speech and for being very alert and awake and on the ball uh throughout the mining in darbo and it seems like what you have to say has great relevance so i'm going to uh, uh, suggest that people would if they'd like to see a little bit more check your site which is gcxafrica.co.za is that right gc would you be putting some of your thoughts on on the website Again, will, you, will you be putting some of your thoughts on the website? You know, all my, um, all my podcasts, and I've got a weekly show, radio show, and this bit of stuff that I do with you, and there's a whole lot of stuff up there, huge amount of uh, TV and radio and uh, uh, blog-type uh, material. So, you know, we, we really do have a, a, um, a significant um, brains trust on that website where people can see exactly well, what let me give the details once again. the alternative and really viable future. All these problems can be solved, Nancy, I promise you. It takes political will and it just takes people to actually see things slightly different. We, Kevin James, we thank, you, thank you. Thank you. are not it there. the ones that President Zuma presented to us tonight. Thanks for your time. Kevin James, thanks a lot. Kevin is uh, founder of GCX Africa, and if you'd like to check the site, there's, as he says, Brains Trust in there, gcxafrica.co.za. The Enviro Show. Well, we are indeed moving from mining and uh, sonar to right through to agriculture. We're talking about farming. We're talking about free farming workshops with Manda Nkomo, who is the operations director and one of the farming training experts with TechnoServe South Africa. Well, TechnoServe South Africa is offering free workshops. It's called Balini Practical Solutions for Farmers, and they're coming up next week on the 17th and the 19th of February. we got Mandla on the line to tell us a little bit more. Hi, Mandla. Hi, Nancy. How are you? And yeah. Just, uh, good evening to you and your listeners. Yes, it's been an exciting evening, has it not? I'm not sure if you're watching the State of the Nation address. But Mandla, tell I, us... I was, and, and I wonder if I'm going to be more exciting than what people have seen or heard today. Well... <laughs> Well, look, the, the most important thing is that we will always need food and we will always need farmers, and that's what you're here to tell us about. The farmer training uh, half-day workshops that you're going to be giving, who are they for? Are they for complete beginners or what? 
So what we've decided to do, uh, Nancy, is to, is to try and reach out to anyone and everyone uh, who is interested in, in participating in agriculture. So whether you are an aspiring farmer or you are a practicing farmer, uh, we think that uh, it would be great for you to attend the workshop because we're wanting to give people a sense of how when the National Development Plan talks about a million jobs coming from agriculture, mm. how each of us can actually participate in making that come true. What can one learn in half a day? Well, I think in half a day, what we're wanting to do is to give people exposure uh, to a couple of things. Exposure to what some of the industry players have got planned. So, for example, for the workshop in Johannesburg, we're going to have one of our top seed companies, a company called Sakata, that will be telling people about the products that they offer and how they can uh, basically get the most value off from those products. But at the same time, we, we want to give people an opportunity to become part of our programs, which are more institutionalized. So TechnoServe is currently working in about uh, six provinces of the country. And we see this as an opportunity for people to stick their hand up if they need help, because we've developed fairly unique uh, solutions for helping aspiring and practicing farmers. I mean, what it seems to me, TechnoServe, what you're an NPO, and I think what you're doing is looking at business solutions to end poverty by, by giving That's people right. information. So you're not here to sort of make any money or sell them anything in particular other than just give knowledge. No, exactly. So we're a non-governmental organization. We, we're an international NGO in about 35 countries across the world. We've been in South Africa for the last 10 years, and our, and our firm belief is that you know, in every community, there is entrepreneurs and more so in agriculture. And our view is that we, we, we are able to help, uh, you know, enterprising people in agriculture to build competitive and sustainable businesses. And uh, we do that as a nonprofit. We raise funds from other people to fund our activities. And we've currently got a, a money from the Jobs Fund, which is, a, 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 you know, a, a, a something from National Treasury. And we're using those funds to then help small-scale farmers to commercialize. Yeah, and so, we think so that's where the answer is going to come from, Nancy. Yeah, I, no, I've heard this often. Small-scale farmers seem to be the way of the future. So, you know, I come back to this, how much can you really learn in half a day? Are you looking at, at, um, at sort of people who are completely new in this? They're going to come along and you'll give them information. And from after this, will you direct them to somewhere where else, where they, whereby they can learn more elsewhere? So, so I want you to look at this as a funnel, Nancy. Where uh, what we're doing in the workshops is to get as as many people who are interested in agriculture into a room, but give them enough information to be then channeled uh, into those work streams that make sense for them. So we offer a variety of services. We offer you know, market facilitation. If you've got a product, uh, you want to get it onto market, we can assist you with that. We also broker financial assistance. Uh, we don't give money ourselves, but we've got relationships with financial institutions. We also offer technical support. So the workshops are really to create a platform for people to, to figure out where they can get that next step. It's not to teach you everything you need to know about farming but it's to give you sufficient information to then choose the path that makes sense for you. 
So, and networking as well. I suppose that would be uh, that would be part of it. Now, for, just to get to the nuts and bolts of it, February the seventeenth—that's the one that's happening in Johannesburg. That's at the Forum Turbine Hall in Newtown, Joburg. And then February the nineteenth, the Burgers Park Hotel. How can people um, sign up? I believe that seats are limited. So, uh, best they call because that you know, seventeenth and the nineteenth is just next week. That's correct. Uh, we've got a bit of a call center running at our office. So people can phone Technoserve in Johannesburg. Uh, we are on O double one four eight two six double zero one, and then someone will be able to take their name down and make sure that they reserve a seat. So seats are limited. We're hoping to get two hundred people in each of the of the two uh, seminars. So if people are keen to hear more, they would need to phone in okay. and book a seat. And then we we chat on Tuesday and Thursday. Okay, and equally, your website is technoserve.org.za. Is there info on that as well? There's info on that as well, okay. and uh, people will be able to, to follow that and, and get more detail. And I think people can also expect to, to meet real live farmers that have worked with us in our programs who are making a success of their farming enterprises. And I think that will give very good testimony to what is possible in well, this space. And what is not possible when it comes to farming, there's all sorts of things you can do. Manda Blessings, thank you very much for joining us, and I'm going to give out the details once again. Good luck. May you get, thank you so much, Nancy. Lovely those, chatting to you. And to you. Take care. Mandela and Como. And uh, let's hope that they get all 200 uh, of the seats filled. And if you'd like to know more, check their site. It's technoserve.org.za, technoserve.org.za for the Balimi Practical Solutions for Farmers. Otherwise, give them a call 011 482 6001. 011-482-6001. And those, are, once again, are happening in Johannesburg, February the 17th. February the 19th in Pretoria. Well, that's it. Thanks very much for staying with us. Sorry about the short show. We'll be right back with uh, next week with a whole full-length hour. But thank you very much for the team. That's Kim Winter and Rob Parkin, and I'm Nancy Richards. And standing by, we have Stephen Kirker. Hi, Stephen.